everybody. Glad to be back with you. And as we open the Word of God together today from Galatians 3 on this Baptism Sunday, as we said, it is Baptism Sunday. And what that means is that we have the privilege today. This is a privileged Sunday. We are a privileged congregation today that we get to witness the public profession of faith today. Privilege that we get to do that. Privilege that we have the freedom to do that. You see the names uh, coming up here today that we're having uh, as our baptism candidates, Gabrielle Ridmark, Gabby Ridmark, and then Kathy Smith uh, there as well. Each of these individuals, they attended a, a two-session baptism class uh, with me. Uh, the first class we discussed and went over what is salvation in Jesus Christ. That's kind of imperative, isn't it? As you come to baptism, to be a disciple of Jesus, to know what the gospel is, as of course both these women do. Uh, we discussed what salvation is in Christ and what baptism is. What is it? Why do we, we do it? Second class was their opportunity to share with me just really their, their testimony, their story of faith in Jesus Christ. And today, in a few minutes, they're going to share a bit of that story with us uh, too as well. I want today and day like today, uh, days like today to be uh, really the greatest days uh, of all our church calendar, our baptism Sundays, uh, as we... Uh, come together. And it is one of the greatest days for those who are being baptized as they um, place their faith, as they have placed their faith in Christ and take that step of obedience. Maybe you're here today visiting with us and you're not quite sure even what baptism and what this is all about. It's possible. It's a, it's a great day for you to be here. If you're not quite sure or if you haven't trusted Christ yet. Uh, maybe you're a regular here and you need today just a fresh dose of of encouragement really about what's taking place in your life and this really is an opportunity for all of us if you've been baptized yourself to revisit your own baptism it's, it is about Gabby and Kathy today but it's also about all of us and if you've been baptized and placed your faith in Christ allow that today too to be a, a rehearsal a, a revisiting a, a remembering of your own baptism too and what it means for you too because the same thing it, it's going to mean for these ladies this morning, it means for you as you've been baptized into Christ today. Well, as we look at baptism today, it is encouraging today because it's about death to life. It is about death to life. That's what baptism celebrates. The death, uh, the, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we're celebrating. And uh, in light of that, the individual's faith in that, their belief in that, that that really happened, that Jesus Christ really lived and died. And not just died, we have to remember, don't we? Without the resurrection, what does it mean? Nothing. That he resurrected too. That's today what we're looking at. Well, as well, we're going to talk about their identity that through their baptism today, they're identifying with Christ as they're baptized into unity with Him, as Paul said in Galatians. And all of us, not just with Him, but a unity with us as well, as we are one in Christ. A unity. Our text today uh, uh, that Jim read, Galatians 3, verses 23 to, to 29, talks about this faith, this, this, this baptism, this unity, uh, this oneness in Christ. Our passage shows us as well how baptism is really a, a beautiful picture of that. A beautiful visual picture uh, of that. 
of this progression that every follower of Jesus Christ must make. A progression we're going to talk about that the passage leads us to. Our passage shows us uh, this picture of progression. Um, that where we go from being those who are captive to the law, we're going to talk about, to the freedom that we find in Jesus Christ. That's the progression. That's the progression we're going to talk about. What's the greatest biography you've ever read? Or maybe as you think, uh, the greatest story of an individual you heard, maybe it was a a movie form or, or a biography. Some of us love those great historical biographies, and we love to read about the people in those those stories and how their life was uh, on a journey or a progress and they were transformed and and some of them through uh, the greatest trials that they came out the other side the person they are today and but for those trials they wouldn't have been transformed that way uh, and and grown in strength and in courage or and character we love great stories because of that they show us the progress or the journey in someone's life Well, you might say that our passage today, our passage today shows us really the biography or the story of every Christian who's ever trusted Christ. That's what our passage shows us. The biography of every person who's ever trusted Jesus Christ. It it has to be. It has to be when we see the pieces that Paul brings together in this passage. You must go through these, you could call them, stages or steps or this journey as a follower of Jesus Christ. So today, if you're here and as we said, you're not sure what it means to be a Christian, and for all of us, let's look at the biography. Let's look at the story of a life that the Apostle Paul lays out. We're going to look at four hows. I think that's, I think that works. Four hows today. How, how, how. We're going to look at four of them today uh, as we, as we uh, take a look at this passage. Here's our context real quick because we're just jumping into the book of Galatians, kind of in this passage. Uh, Our context is right before this chapter 3 text. Paul has just laid out for the reader 200 or so years of history, or more, from Abraham, then to Moses, and then to Christ, pointing out the promises made to Abraham, then to Moses, and then uh, to Christ, pointing out those promises. Uh, From the law that was given to Moses, uh, it's, uh, the promises to Abraham, the law to Moses, and how it was fulfilled in Christ. That's the progress that he's going to unpack for us. Uh, the law, you might say, to promise progression. The law to promise progression we're going to look at, that every believer must make. And as we said, it's our biography. I pray it's your biography today. Paul tells us these four things, so grab your outline. Hopefully you got it in front of you. Here's our four hows. We're working through them quickly today. How we are captive. How we are freed, so there's our progress, how we are to identify, and then how we are one. So captive, freed, identify, and one. These are our four hows today. So here's our first, our first how. Uh, how, how. How are we captive? How are we captive? Paul describes the condition of every single human born into the world as he describes our captivity. Every single one of us now, there's no one exclusive or outside of this. Paul describes all humanity, how we are in uh, captivity or in bondage, you might say. A sad condition. 
He lays it out in verses 23 and 24. Hopefully you got your text open as well to Galatians 3. Take a look at with me at those uh, 23 and 24. Now before faith came, we were held captive. There's that word. Captive under the law. Imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So the law is, was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Paul tells us here how we are captive. We are all captive under the law. We are all captive under the law. That's our bondage. Now the law, even though it's impact on us is negative the law of god is a is a grace is a mercy is a goodness to us how would we know we think about this how would we know if we just showed up here on earth and god never revealed really anything specifically about himself to us or his character or what he called goodness i mean we really wouldn't know would we and so we'd be living our life making choices making decisions without really knowing what God or who God is in the standard of goodness himself. And so the law, on the one hand, is a grace, is a blessing, is good. As it was the revelation of God's holy character and his righteousness. God gave this law, if you know your Old Testament, the, the book of Exodus, he gave it to Moses, the moral law, you might call it. He revealed a right and a wrong to Moses based on who he is, his own character. And it was part of the unfolding plan of Jesus Christ coming to earth. First, there was a revelation of this law, of who God is and was and is. This moral law that, that we soon find out, it doesn't take long once you're born, to know that none of us can keep it. Not one of us in this room. Can we keep it? We can't. None of us can keep it perfectly. And that puts us, that's that captive position Paul's talking about. It puts us, yes, in a pretty negative state, you might say. Captive under the law, Paul says. Here's what that means. It means that without Jesus Christ as your Savior, you and I would live a life under the entire weight now. Imagine somebody lifting just thousands, hundreds, or that, was it Atlas with the world, the world on his shoulders? You've seen that carrying it. I mean, that's the picture Paul is painting. Without Christ, you were underneath the weight of that law. It's on your shoulders. This moral law. Like somebody who's in captivity, in chains, waiting sentencing or waiting a, a trial. It makes me think of all the times you know, you've watched the evening news or um, a, 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 a crime movie and they flash to there's somebody who is held in a local courtroom case and they're sitting in that booth, you know, just in chains sometimes, sometimes in the orange suit, just sitting there in bondage and captive, waiting to appear before that judge. You've seen that in the movies. You've seen that in movies. Waiting to appear before the judge for that, that, that sentencing. Or you think of a prisoner or yourself, I think a prisoner bound, or maybe as Paul was at times in his own life, bound by chains. Thick chains metal chains attached to uh, the, the strongest brick wall and trying to imagine just trying to free yourself and pull your arms and run as fast as you can away from the wall and being yanked back by these chains that's the captivity he's talking about 
Or maybe you've had firsthand experience with this. Maybe you've been captive before. Maybe you've been placed under some sort of arrest even before. Don't miss the fact that there's a common experience for you to connect to the law today. It's like that. This is what Paul's saying. We are all captive under God's law in a spiritual prison, and you cannot escape. I can't escape. We cannot escape on our own. It's not like those uh, escape rooms become really popular. Has anybody been to one? One of those escape rooms. Have you seen those? You kind of, it's, uh, if you're claustrophobic, I wouldn't recommend it. You don't like closed spaces. I haven't been, so I don't actually know what I'm talking about. But I've seen pictures and know people that have gone. They get put in a room and they give a bunch of clues and you have to find your way out. And you really are locked in there. People pay money for that. I mean, that is, there's a picture there. We are captive. Captive to the law And if you feel that, or if you experience what God requires of you, what he wants us to do and not to do, and the penalties that come with disobedience, the law of God is actually doing a good thing in your life. It's completing its purpose. It's a good law. It's good. It's a sense of brokenness you experience in your own life, internally and in the world, when you just know something is not right with me. You're experiencing the law doing its don't miss that. Something is not right. Well, the word Paul uses, he, he, the second word he uses, it's like a guardian, he says. Not only are you captive, but the law is like a guardian for you, like a, a, a harsh, uh, disciplining um, governess who's watching over you. A guardian pointing us to our need of Christ. The law is a perfect, like this guardian. In the first grade, I had a teacher. They can't do this anymore. Uh, when, when we used to get in trouble sometimes, she would take a pencil and wrap our knuckles with it. Yeah, have you ever a teacher do that? Yeah, you know pretty quick that you broke a law in her class when she did that. They can't do that anymore. Uh, but she used to do that. This is, you know, a ways back. Um, but we knew we'd broken a law. It was pretty clear and pretty quick that we disappointed, disobeyed, and there was discipline coming. This is a state of humanity without Christ. A, a captive, harsh, strict disciplinarian as the law points us to our need. The law guides us to our need of, of, of something else. It guides us to our own inability to free ourselves. That's what it does. And that's a good thing. God intended it to do that. So how are we freed then? It's our second how. If you're captive, how are you free? Until Christ came, the verse is free. We were captive to the law, a strict argument. Until Christ came, and we could be freed. We could be justified, is the word Paul uh, uses. Freed by faith. By faith. And that is what each person, as we see uh, uh, Kathy and Gabby come forward today, that, that is... What each person you see, they will profess a faith in Christ. That's a faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verses 25 and 26 to me. But now, but now, without that little word but, we're lost. So that little word but, and it, it's in other places in the Bible too. This, the bad news is laid out and then Paul always writes, but, without that word, here's what he says, but, now, the faith has come. 
We're no longer under a garden. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So how are we freed? We become free children of God through faith. Through faith. You're free. How are we freed from the prison of the law? When it serves its gracious purpose and points us to our need of a Savior, it's by faith. Faith alone. It's through faith that we're justified, Paul says. It means made right with God. By faith, your eyes are open and you're whisked out of that dungeon. By faith, God himself rips the chains off of you. I love the words that reminded me, uh, as I was prepping this week, of the, and can it be that I should think of the prison, these words, you've sung them before. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin, in nature's night. Thine eye, that's his eye, diffused, gave a quickening ray, sunshine, light. I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That's what we're talking about here. The great hymn that speaks those words. Instead of a prisoner, then, you become an adopted child. An adopted child of God. You're adopted into his family. And then what does the last verse say? You, we rose, went forth, and followed thee. What happens to the law, then, in the life of a Christian? It becomes not just the thing that it was captive or the tutor or guardian pointing us to Jesus. It then becomes our delight. We look at it and we go, oh yes, thank you, God, that you've showed us who you are. As we rose, as we rise, the song says, we go forth and now we have in front of us the very thing that held us captive now shows us who this God is and how we're to live for him as we're adopted into his family, which baptism represents today. And Paul tells us this. This is how we identify. Instead of a prisoner, we become a child of God. The life-giving power and work of the Holy Spirit awakens a dead heart. That's what we're singing in that hymn. The quickening ray, the quickening light, the truth comes, and all of a sudden you realize this, this magnificent truth that I can't free myself. I need someone else to do it for me. And we embrace it in faith, in a life-giving joy. And the realization happens. The chains are gone. I'm saved by faith in Christ. The law will never earn me favor with God. And he, as he breaks your chains, you become a child of God. Which leads to our third how. How we're captive, how we're freed through faith in Jesus Christ. And that alone, how we identify how we identify. Look at verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You've put on Christ. It's peculiar language. It's like the language of, of clothing. Here's how we identify. We are baptized into Christ's identity. Who he is. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you realize the chains, realize that no effort of your own will ever free you from that and place our faith in Christ. We are, we are in Christ. Paul uses the language. It's very intimate. So intimate. It says, it's like you put him on. You wear him almost. And intimacy is close 
as the clothing on your skin right now. Put them on. That's how close he wants to be. Is your child? You take your child and you, you smash your cheek up against theirs, right? You smash it and oh, you just you love it. Or your granddaughter, you just can't get enough. Sometimes you're just like, I want to eat you up. Have you ever said that before? You're, you had that feeling. You just love, you know, you just love them. We put on Christ. He's close. He's intimate. He's our identity. Like a clean white garment, His goodness becomes yours. His death for sin becomes ours. His resurrection points to where you and I are heading. In the tank and water. We do that. We show that. The identity we have. Here's what Martin Luther said in his great, just magnificent commentary on Galatians. He said, The putting on of Christ according to the gospel consists not in imitation. It is that. We imitate Christ as we follow him. We do that. But this putting on here is a new birth, a new creation. That is to say, in putting on Christ himself, his innocency, his righteousness, his wisdom, his power, his saving health, his life, and his spirit. You get it? <laughs> it's someone else's work. It's Jesus. And we get to put it on. You get to own it as if it was your own. That's good news. Everything that he accomplished in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, becomes yours, becomes mine as sons and daughters. The orange prison suit is removed, right? It's gone. It's taken off. And we are given his pure, spotless, clean robes. That's how you stand. You stand before the judge in pure confidence. Not cowering in the corner. You stand there in pure confidence because right by your side is the Savior who's resurrected. He's got you. He's embraced you. In fact, he's put his work on you. That's what baptism represents. It's meaningful, isn't it? Not just a little dunk or sprinkle. That's what it represents. That's what God wants us to rehearse and go through again today. Our faith alone saves us. But our baptism represents and shows to the church and to the world, I am his and he is mine. I am his and he is mine. And that's what these two ladies are saying today. I am his. He is mine. As Christ went down into the grave, so I die to myself as I'm placed under the water. As he was raised from the grave, so too I will be raised up, hopefully, from the water, right? Yes, we will. We'll raise you up from the water. As he was raised, yes, we'll be raised too. That's our primary identity. That's who you are. A Christian. That's why we use the word. A follower of Christ. Here's what that means, though, for us. All other identities, then, must be secondary. All other identities must be uh, subservient, you might say, to that identity. So then all those other identities, those ways we identify ourselves that we are passionate about or connect with, all those other things have to take their shaping and their molding and their direction from that number one identity. They have to. Because none of them are ultimate. All those other identities you have will someday fade and disappear. 
or you'll pass on from that role in your life or whatever that identifying factor is. Whether it's uh, your identity as a mother, father, an employee, a boss, a Democrat, a Republican, an American. All those identities, they will pass. Our sexuality, which has become a big identifier. Our ethnicity, ducks or beavers. All of those things. Our generational uh, identity, a boomer, Gen X, millennial. All of them are secondary. I mean, they're of value, but all of them are secondary to our identity in Him. And all those pieces of identity that don't align with Him, we must look at. And we must let them be molded and shaped or changed. And if it's not possible, abandon them. Abandon them to the one identity in Jesus Christ. And we do it not alone, though. That's the final how. How are we one? We don't do this alone. It's not a journey of change and identifying with Christ that we're on alone. How are we one? It's the fourth how Paul shows us how we are one. Our baptism is a visual picture, as we said today. Visual picture of our union with Christ and each other. Uh, Look at verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You're all one in Christ Jesus. So how are we one? We're one in Christ Jesus. That's what makes us one. It doesn't mean male and female cease to exist, that there isn't uh, God-given uh, gender or uh, different ethnicity. It doesn't mean they just cease to exist. It just means that the primary identifying factor, that's what unites us. We're all one in Christ. Christ has done this. He saved us by faith. These candidates you'll see in just a minute. So to be that one people that come together Bethany Church, regardless of our differences, whether it be ethnicity, socioeconomic, we come together by our common faith by the grace of God. That's why I love Baptism Sunday so much. Seeing different people. We'll see different stages of life today. Different places, different ages. But one Savior, one baptism, one family here family. We are family. We are family. So here's the biography of a Christian, our four house. We're captive by the law. We're freed by faith in Christ. We identify with him as a child of God to be made one with God and all disciples of Jesus Christ. So let's celebrate. Yeah, thanks David. Let's celebrate the work of Christ in the lives um, of these baptisms candidates now.